All right. Thanks for you. Uh, thanks to those of you out there for joining us for what we're calling uh, episode 11A of the First State Copites podcast. It's a special edition today, and we are very uh, excited and privileged to uh, welcome in one Mr. James Paul Conrad, Jimmy to his friends, and to those of us that know it's Conradinho. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here and to uh, discuss the beautiful game with all these beautiful faces. Let's get after it. Ooh, well, thanks, man. So, um, what's it? Uh, 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 balmy nine o'clock in the uh, dimension that you're in on the on the west coast over there. That's correct. Well, thanks Ready for taking the time, man. Um, no problem. So we're going to jump straight into this. Uh, you are probably the most prestigious Newcastle fan that we know, or at least could get to come on the show. <laughs> so um, tell us about how you became an, a Newcastle fan to start off to start off with. Well, as most people know that live here in the States, there was a big thirst and desire to see any kind of professional soccer, as we like to call it, when I was a kid. And we just didn't have the TV outlets. Obviously, it's everywhere now. You can find it. And if you can't find it, there's an illegal stream somewhere where you can or you can find the highlights on YouTube. I mean, there's just so much of it that you can you can absorb. And, and at that time, when I was a kid, there was nothing. But the Premier League was just starting in, on Fox Sports uh, at the time. You could just kind of get the, the, the recap, the weekly one-hour recap of what happened in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Manchester United, Eric Cantona had really come into, you know, moving over from Leeds and, and starting to take over and, and really bringing a different type of style to the, to the game. I mean, at that point, I think England was known to be somewhat route one. And all of a sudden, this influx, particularly with this foreigner, in particular, foreign playmaker with Eric Cantona, really kind of changed how you could have success. And that meant that because they were doing well, all I heard was Manchester United this, Manchester United that, like enough of the Manchester United stuff. And so all my friends were pretty bandwagon Manchester United fans. And I was like, okay, I appreciate Cantona and I appreciate the, you know, what they bring and Sir Alex and, and all that good stuff. But I just don't know if I can subscribe to that. And that season or one of the seasons early on in the Premier League, I think the 92-93 season, I should know this by heart but it's where uh, Newcastle slapped them 5-0. And my friends were so bitter and had excuses for everything. I was like, that's my squad. I'm liking the black and white stripes. I'm loving everything that's happening there. They got a little bit of attitude to them. And, and they're signing players that are making differences. You know, obviously when they brought in Shear from Blackburn and, and, and that's my team. And honestly, since then, it's been a steady decline. Like I, I caught them at their peak and it sucks, you know, like, we didn't, we didn't go up any higher. I was at the peak and now it's just been a downhill ascent and uh, our descent, excuse me. And uh, it sucks. It sucks. But now we seem to have had a turn uh, a fortune, which has been long time coming. I just wish it didn't come with that human rights violation tag that these owners potentially have some blood on their hands. And that, that it makes it very, conflicting and and it's hard to really enjoy it in a proper way now i don't know how you as liverpool supporters feel about fenway sports group and i'm not saying they have human rights violations on their hands but but there's still that ah this is cool but are they really who we want as owners you know and uh, we're taking that to the next degree because of these human rights violations it's funny you say fortune because that seems to be what it what it's all about i I generally (laughs) tend to make a more take a more sanguine view on things it's as you were saying, as, as a Newcastle fan, you've watched what is, I, t- I wouldn't say storied per se, because it's been a minute since you actually won anything. I'm not trying to put the boots in there, but it kind of is. It's all good. It sounds like it's it. all good. I, I, I'm a realist. I'm not one of those hopeless romantics that think Arsenal are going to win the league every year. You know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I know exactly who we are and what we're about. So, they yeah, you keep, taking, you keep taking your shots. No problem. <laughs> um, I'll absorb. Just immune. Absorbing. Yeah, <laughs> just immune. Well, it's... Uh, I, again, I take a more sanguine view on it because like the fans don't have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think that it's become pretty well documented over the last, what, 15, 20 years since probably Abramovich took over that in order to be competitive, you have to bring the money. And as you were saying, Ashley, before off air, um, you can call him it if you want. Yeah, I'm here for it. But it was a word that was used. It was probably used pretty much by every single uh, Newcastle fan that I know. And he wasn't providing the investment. And now you have this public investment fund from the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia that has its 
has its issues. Let's put it that way. Like I, and I, I'll, I want to open us up to the other guys uh, as well, just to see what, what their feelings are as well, because I think that it's, we, we run the risk of being a little bit disingenuous by trying to, by trying to point fingers, because if you, if you move enough dirt aside from for almost all ownership groups, you will find bodies. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll start off with, with, with Paul, what was your immediate take uh, when, when you heard that the, that the Saudi Arabian, uh, well, royalty was taking over or not taking over. They've got a, uh, an investment fund and, and uh, a consortium that's supposedly taken over for them. Uh, I, I guess, um, well, Jurgen Klopp's talked about this this morning. I don't know if you've, you've seen uh, what, he, what he had to say. He said something like, Newcastle fans are obviously delighted, but I think the rest of football will, will have issues with, um, with, with, with this, which I, I guess is probably where I was. What, what I found disappointing, actually, the most disappointing thing is the contortions that people seem to have gone through to like explain it away. I, I, that, that's been very, I mean, I think we've seen it before. I mean, I think I, I pointed out in the, the uh, to, to at least one of you that I saw some Manchester city fans trying to argue that Abu Dhabi didn't really own Manchester city. And they had a much more hands-off relationship than the Saudi and Saudi Arabian investment fund will. Uh, and it, it's uh, it just it's it, uh, annoying. I don't even know why I read some of the comments and some of the articles I read. Um, but um, I, I, before we're done, I do want to go back and talk about the team in the '90s. Um, by the way, so let's let, let's let's leave, leave time. Let's for do that. it. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, that, that that's my take. Um, I don't know if anyone else has a a different take on, on it. I'll I'll jump in really quick and say that uh, I. I... The, the 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 nuance and subtlety between or or even the <laughs> man city fans shouldn't be saying anything about anything either psg fans and and when jurgen klopp does say something it's interesting how how accustomed we've grown to just abu dhabi being involved or or you know the qatari people being involved with psg and and just we've accepted it it just is what it is and and how much they flaunt financial fair play and what of a joke of a rule that was i mean there's so many rabbit holes we can go down and go down and go down and it never looks good for the game. And it's not about the fans and it's not about the players. It's just about profit. It's about sport washing. It's about whatever it may be. And that sucks because we want to see it for what it is. Just, just this game where a bunch of grown men in small shorts kick a ball in a certain direction. And there's some tribalism there. And that team that's wearing that color, I like those guys and the team that's where, well, I like them too. And let's just have some banter about it. And that's what it is. I mean, we want to get it back to what the simple part of it and what made it pure in the first place. And it just feels like it's being tainted in so many different ways. So that, that gets frustrating. It's hard not to separate that. I think from a Newcastle perspective, and I saw this comment, which I thought was funny is that now everybody has an issue with Saudi Arabia. Not, not when actually those human rights violations were being perpetrated, but now that they bought a football club, God damn it. No, no, nothing. We can't, we know those Saudi Arabians have to go away. We got to put them in jail. Like this can't happen. Like, why does it have to take that step? For, for that to have that kind of reaction, I thought was an interesting take on this particular situation and, and why those same arms weren't being thrown up when potentially City and PSG were doing the same exact things. Now, I'm, again, I'm not trying to validate this decision. I think what Newcastle fans can do is hold this group accountable that if you're going to come in here and own our football club, which stands for X, Y, and Z, then you have to stand for that as well and everything that you're doing because that's why you're purchasing this club, I assume, is for this history and tradition and we are going to hold you responsible and accountable. And, and I guess this is the only way you can say it from this point forward, because if you're going to own our club, then you need to stand for what we stand for. And that's a place where I think Newcastle fans can really turn this into a positive and not try to discuss this away or try to validate it by you know, comparing it to City or PSG or any other, other dirty money that's out there in the game. And then kind of maybe put it into a positive. That's the only way that I can somewhat justify and feel somewhat okay about this because other times i'm like man why can't we just have like a normal owner that's american that people just hate because he's an american owner like you guys and and <laughs> why does there have to be like oil money and human rights violations attached to this yeah oh well it's, it's funny it's okay it's not funny it's actually terrible but yes. uh ostensibly one of the reasons that the fa changed their minds and i think that this is it's even at a superficial level you don't even have to dig that deep it, was, it had to do with bn sports rights mm-hmm. so i did like a little again like a, a, just a cursory search for me showed up that apparently they blocked it last year on the human rights thing but also because the pirated, um, they found out that saudi yeah. arabia was was the lead in terms of the, the lead country in terms of piracy 
for for uh, uh, for, for for the games when BN had the rights mm-hmm. in the Middle East, yeah. and that's the Qataris, I believe, that own mm-hmm. that own that. So, it, so it's interesting that all of a sudden, once that that ostensibly ended in January, like, oh yes, we're going to prosecute all these people that are the, the these these Don pirates. Um, gosh darn it! How dare they? <laughs> um, that, that, so once that that was off the table. The human rights violations or the, the, the other side of that other arm of that same body was like, oh, I guess we can overlook these things. Um, so my, my sense, my, and I think that the FA needs to be held to account here. And Sean, like, I'd, I'd love to get I'd love to get some of your some of your viewpoints on that. Well, first, I want to say I can sympathize with you, Jimmy, because I'm a Washington football team. Oh, fan. man. Yeah. And you can imagine how that's been <laughs> over the last 20 years, 100 percent, 30 years. God, I, I became a fan you know, right before they won the Super Bowl, and it's been downhill ever since. Yeah, sure uh, what did we say? Right like, before they won the Super Bowl? <laughs> Come on. Are we talking about Theismann and Art Monk and those guys? No, the 91 Super Bowl, Mark Griffin. Oh, yeah, yeah we, yeah. we moved to Maryland in 1990. That's right. In the D.C. area, and I was like nine. So, you know, it was great. And then it's just been torture ever since. But <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> but so anyway, I, I and 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 by the way, I want to mention, you know, I, I did go with Dad's message year beyond. I went and looked up your goal on YouTube. I'm sorry. The US na- men's <laughs> national team. No, it's a hell of a goal. Like what a header. I was like, wow. Yeah, I didn't even need to jump. You know. That's that's what's great. Yeah, no, that was cool. But um, so like you know, it's it's interesting because I I thought about this a lot since since the you know they announced this and my initial reaction was like, oh God, that's horrible. You know, like how could, you know, how could they allow this thing, you know, and, that. But, and then like, but like, since then I've thought more about it and it's like, what would I do if I was like, if, if the Saudis took over Liverpool, what would I really like quit being a fan? That's so I mean, I, I like tell myself I would, Yeah. but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I really don't know what I'd do. And let's be honest. Like, one of the groups that's been linked with Liverpool with purchasing Liverpool in the past is a Chinese sovereign fund. So is that, is that really that much better? Um, you know, it, it's, you can argue, I guess, make arguments, but it's, you're kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of stretching yourself at that point. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think it, I think it's, 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 it's terrible that the, that the, Premier League and the FA like are allowing it, but they've already kind of opened the door to Russian money, money laundering. And the, you know, I think it's a, Sean, I think it's a slippery slope because, you know, then you get into just your day-to-day life, like ethical consumerism. I'm pretty sure the shoes that I'm wearing, I mean, I would just venture that it's probably made by people that weren't being treated well in a work environment somewhere not here in this country. And that my phone, that I, iPhone that I'm using is probably being mined in, you know, different parts of it are being mined in areas that if we knew exactly what was happening, I don't know if we'd buy that phone anymore, but we, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible how much we can turn a blind eye to. Uh, so, so there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here and how far we want to go down uh, these types of situations. And, and I think more often than not, we just want to think that everybody's acting in their best interests. Like we hope that the Saudis are coming in just because they love Newcastle or that they just want to be part of the Premier League and they want to flex on their friends because they can, because they have like 17,000 million billion dollars. And so it's, it's, but it's not as, it's not as straightforward as that. And that's not how life works, unfortunately. And so it's just, it gets, it gets weird. It gets a little crazy and a little uncomfortable. And if, if we can have these types of conversations to kind of bring some things to light and to actually reflect on, what we're doing with our own lives. I don't think that's the worst thing ever. Mm-hmm. Well, hi, Tim. I'll, I'll come to you on this one real quick. Is like, and I'm kind of going to put you on the spot here. What do you think, 30,000 foot view, the best possible outcome is for the FA here? Because Amnesty International, at least the UK version, is, is asked to speak with, with the head. I forget, it's Mark something. I forget his name. It'll come to me. Richard Masters, I think it is. Is it Master, Richard Masters? Yeah. I'm thinking of yeah. someone else. But yeah, thank you that's um what do you think the best possible outcome for in term- not that i really think the fa gives a flying fuck at a rolling donut about no they don't and and, and and should we give them the i mean should they be the police i mean ultimately i do think the fa the premier league we should be held the badge though jimmy we have given them the badge and that's true they- that's true and it's and at some point like are they ever going to be held accountable for anything to sean's point 
that horse is bolted. It's in a different field. It's already full. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, there's yeah, a whole yeah. other herd of horses that are out there. And Kartik Krishna said something to that, to that effect. And I was like, but you can close the door. You can at some point say that's enough, but they won't. And it's, and I think that they, anyway, Hatham, I wanted to come to you on that. It's like, what is the, what, what can the FA do to, if they even care to ameliorate or, or somehow put a, a, a slap a little bit better lipstick on the pig? That's a really good question. I think from uh, you know a possible solution, uh, we have a, the perfect on paper the perfect uh, antidote per se for this issue, uh, which is financial fair, fair play. You know, but, <laughs> you know, it's it, it, it's not. No one knows at this. No one knows at this point. Um, you know what that constitutes. Uh, what's what it's about. All of that stuff. Um, and, and, and to me, you can, like uh, Jimmy said, you know, uh, and, and Sean mentioned it too, you can have uh, a Chinese consortium that's going to take over another club. Uh, I read uh, an article in lines with what the Onion does, uh, does and shared it with you guys that uh, the Taliban is going to purchase Middlesbrough. And it, was, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was fun. So, you know. Uh, that's amazing, by the way. Yeah, politics aside, um, <laughs> and 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 um, you know, uh, just uh, the uh, all the possible you know solutions or or, or factors, and 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 uh, having the Saudis or whoever you know Martians you know take over a club. Um, I think for us as fans, the biggest deal is just how are we going to continue to enjoy. Uh, football mm -hmm. and, and and players and teams without having to hate another team, mm -hmm. you know, be, because they, they're able to buy, you know, spend billions and billions and build uh, dynasties that will take over uh, whichever league. Um, and 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 again, you know, just going back to my point, um, it's 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 financial fair play. So I think the focus needs to go back to financial fair play, um, streamline it, and 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 implement it. In, in such a way that whoever comes in, regardless of the uh, wealth that they have, the oil wells that they own, um, it's, you know, it's going to be a level playing field for everyone. Um, and I think, you know, that's, that's in my mind, you know, uh, my humble opinion, this is the solution moving forward and, and taking care of all these issues and, and making sure that, you know, People, like I said, will enjoy watching football moving forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put something out here, and this is going to be contentious, but the European Soccer League, Sean, wasn't that the, wouldn't that have been the the actual antidote that there was that was was scuppered earlier this year because ostensibly that what that was supposed to do was limit the amount of investment to it or cap it to a to a certain a certain degree so that you couldn't do what they're planning on the financial doping that's happening and jimmy i'll ask you on this one do you think that it's it's that we somewhat twiddle our own hypocrisy gland to to, to suit here yeah 100 percent. There's, there's no question that what we choose and don't choose to get upset about isn't always uniform that we mm -hmm. You know, I, I, maybe based on our own biases and our own life and, and what we grew up with, what in terms of the lenses that we look through, what, what's fair and what's not. Now, it, it's hard to, I don't, it gets so sticky. This is a really sticky, sticky issue. And, and I actually started to think a little bit more. And I love all your commentary, by the way. It's, it's, it's really great insight. It's, do you, well, let me see how I want to phrase this. Listen, Jimmy, before you go any further, it's no, only my ahead. mom that's listening. It's only my mom that's listening. So if well, you, mom, like, moms you got... love me, so let's give a five-star review to this podcast, mom. Uh, that'd be helpful for this. But now with regard to the policing, I think that's where it gets gray because when when these consortiums or, or oil money get into sport, it, it becomes really difficult because you can see, at least from an investment standpoint, or if you have these capitalistic ideas, and, and I think this is where some of the philosophy gets interesting because the game itself is socialistic, right? And, and you're only as strong as your weakest link on the fields, you know? And I, 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 I 
I'm laughing at myself for bringing up Loris Karius, but you win that Champions League final. That dude's not in goal. You know what I'm saying? I'm just throwing that one out there. So, <laughs> so you're only a strong. You go get Allison, and guess yeah. what? Problem solved. You win the Champions League, and 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 uh, Virgil Van Dyke helped a little bit too, obviously uh, helping. <laughs> anyway, we don't have to get too far into that. But what I'm saying is, it's it's an interesting kind of a uh, juxtaposition with with you have a socialistic game that is all capitalistic outside of it, and and. Yeah, it feels weird. They feel it at odds at times. And, and I think that's part of the issue as well at play here, kind of kind of like scaling everything back. And so it's 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 really difficult. I don't I don't think this is a conversation that really ever ends. But I do think there's a moment here for Newcastle fans. And I'll go again to to hold these these owners accountable for some of their off the field stuff and, and to make them know at the very least, make them know that you're aware of what has transpired under their watch. And, and I think that's important. And, and then with regard to the policing, though, for, for the FA and the Premier League, yeah, I think that horse is definitely like 17 fields over. Like, it's not even close to, to them being able to handle that. And they just see dollar signs. They see money. And then that gets back into the capitalistic, that gets back into power and greed. And, and that's not a great place for the game to grow, but it just exists in every single capitalistic society where if you're trying to build something, that's just how it just seems to work. There's a hierarchy and everything else falls into it. I'm way into it, the, the power dynamics of all that. And obviously there's some stuff happening here with the NWSL. So I'm, I'm invested mm -hmm. in that. And then I'm reading this book called Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. That is just fantastic. And kind of just kind of exploring and reflecting on my own about kind of my role and, and what I've seen in the game, both as a player and now in the media, even though I don't consider myself a journalist, just more of an entertainer per se. But uh, uh, I don't even know if I'm a very good entertainer, but uh, definitely not a journalist. You're my favorite entertainer. <laughs> you should see my my stripper pole behind me. I got tassels oh and I God. like the lights change. It's unbelievable. Sorry, is that not this kind of that's an OnlyFans podcast? Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told you my mom is my OnlyFans. So well, uh, you can pull that. I'm sure she that, that's a lot it. to unpack there if that's true. First, <laughs> first, yeah. Because I've always thought I've always looked at the FA as kind of one of those suspender snapping almost like long mustache twirling group <laughs> like with like someone just shows up with a bag of like like a, one of those old burlap sacks with like a dollar sign some like painted onto it sure and ultimately i think that you're right that there's no there's no easy way out of this because as fans we're, we're definitely jingoistic and mm -hmm. we always want something to to lash other fans with but ultimately it comes down to and th and there's no way around it like he who has the gold makes the rules, right? And that there's there's literal gold on the table right now, and I don't know. It's uh, I'm interested to hear from the rest of you, like how you really feel about what's like where where Newcastle is going to be in the next four to five years as a result of this. Because to Hytham's point, if they do decide to clamp down on FFP. And I, I do believe that the FA has got something, some investigation going on in the background, whatever that investigation looks like for Manchester City. And if that actually adds more stricture to, to, to what we're doing, but what is, what does Newcastle look like in the next five years, at least? Well, I'll start with you, Paul, because. Yeah. So, so this, this is, uh, this is been, I, I, I think I've changed my mind actually in this conversation. So this has been really um, thought provoking, but I think the, the, the place that I would go in terms of, I think there needs to be more transparency and I think it starts with FIFA and UEFA and, you know, and maybe this is a pipe dream, but I, I, it was interesting to me that UEFA they pulled their uh, lawsuit against the club still left in the Super League. Um, and there seemed to be some suggestion that they were afraid that their, them being judge and jury around soccer would not stand up to legal scrutiny. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I do think that's a, that, that would be a really helpful place to start. And, you know, I mean, the, obviously the Super League was trying to usurp some of that, but uh, maybe maybe someone can make a better fist of the Super League idea and, and introduce some kind of independence in, in terms of the, you know, the, uh, the, way, the way in which the game's managed at, at, at all levels. Um, that's my hope. It's not my expectation. As far as Newcastle are concerned, uh, well, a couple of things. One is, I, 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 my, my joke to you, Daz, was that uh, the... Uh, 
the billion uh, buyout clause in Pedri's contract was really a way of solving Barcelona's financial issues because somewhere down the track, Newcastle will be able to sign him now and, <laughs> and they'll have the billion dollars, which will pay off all their debts and they can get back to screwing up their finances once more. Um, seriously. I, I did find it interesting that, the, that you can spend 190 million right in the next window which, which says something about Ashley's management of the, of the club, uh, if, if nothing else. Um, Wait, is that pounds or is that... Is I think that that's pounds. Dollars? I think that's 190 million pounds. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, the challenge will be everyone knows how much money you have and everybody will be you know, up in the price. You know, it, like it'll be like the city, every fullback costs 50 million, right? No matter who they are, because it's city. Um, and no matter how good, bad, or you know, potentially criminal they are, um, and so I think it might be really hard to spend that money because you, you, you know, will will players want to be the first one to go? You know, will the prices be high? Will they end up, you know, with Philip Coutinho for 150 million? And I, I don't know. That's uh, I think this this it, it, it's it, it's not <laughs> going to be a smooth no. path to. Well, that was one of the rumors, right? So. That, that's yeah, my I, yeah, I jump in and say, you know, there's probably going to be a big once this initial pass and the acceptance of these new owners comes in. I think most people can be like, yeah, just give me killing Mbappe and Erling Holland and we're going to be we're going to be great. This is going to yeah. be amazing. I love Newcastle. It's going to be awesome. So it's going to be interesting to see because when when there are comments, especially from, let's say, a Man City camp or Man City fans or PSG fans or Chelsea I, you have to take it with a grain of salt because they could fall into the same category as these ownership, this, this ownership group. And, and I think maybe they say these things, put things out in the media or whatever it may be, if there's people from those particular clubs speaking, because now Newcastle can't outbid everybody. And they don't want that because they don't want to have to overpay for players either, even though they have shown a penchant for doing that for, for a number of years. And I just think it's kind of the, the pot calling the kettle black in, in, in a lot of different ways. Um, doesn't make it right, but, now, now, you know, Newcastle should start flexing all on everybody. And, and uh, we'll see. I, the game's definitely changed. And, and the, the power has shifted a little bit. So I'm, I'm curious to see how the clubs adapt to that. And, of course, how Newcastle do it. I, I saw that they came out today and mentioned that they're going to ease their way into this. I'm like, okay, whatever. Give Steve Ruth his 1,000th game as manager and then kick the guy out, you know. Um, I, can't, I can't see us, you know, sit back with five in the back line at home against Southampton anymore. I can't do it. It's just, just give me somebody different at this point. But um, uh, you know, so, so I'm curious. I mean, if you're going to make a change, I would consider doing it soon so that that person can come in and really identify where the strengths need to be focused, who's available, and maybe give them that January transfer window to make a change or two and then try to make a bigger splash over the summer. But uh, yeah, if we're just talking about sporting, issues and not everything outside of it. It is, it is a fascinating experiment in terms of how it's going to impact the market. And, and of course the, the, the competitive clubs in the premier league who have the money to spend and compete on a regular basis. So look, what, Jimmy, I, I think if, if they were smart, what they would do is go offer uh, Michael Edwards a billion dollars and see if he bites. <laughs> <laughs> He's not at Liverpool anymore. Uh, I, I, I think, I think Newcastle will be in the champions league within four or five years. Uh, maybe and, less, maybe less. If, yeah, maybe less. And, uh, you know, and, and if they do form a Super League, I think Spurs might be the team on the outs if they if they don't take an extra one from the Premier League, which I guess they could still. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, it's going to it's going to happen. And I guess the one thing I wonder about is is um, it doesn't seem this way right now. But will there be any fans that are sort of more reluctant moving forward, similar to like, I, I don't know this personally, but I've heard stories of Man City fans who were like main road fans who like aren't really with the team that much anymore. They still support, but they don't really go to the games. You know, will there be any of that? I, it, it, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't have that impression right now with Newcastle, but um, it'll be interesting to see how that kind of all plays out. Um, you know, you know what I'm excited about is I just think we're not going to see fans punching horses anymore. You know, I feel like, <laughs> you know, I, 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 think we can feel, I think we can all feel happy for you that you don't have to deal with Mike Ashley well, anymore. I mean, like yeah, that, that was just a miserable situation. You know, if Alonso Maximine scores 
in a cup, it's not a big deal anymore. We don't have to whip out our junk and swirl it around. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't have to get that crazy. I feel like I'm getting, I'm going to be excited when we're winning consistently. So we don't have to act like complete assholes, you know, every time we, something good happens to our club because we've been suffering for so long, but uh, it is a unique bunch, the Newcastle fans. And I look forward to going to St. James's park at some point when Sunderland ever comes back up. I don't see it happening anytime soon. Sucks to be you Sunderland. Yeah. Maybe with your great grandchildren. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, exactly. Didn't even think about that. That's going to be miserable to be a Sunderland fan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, just uh, before I talk about Newcastle's uh, future, I want to go back to something that Paul mentioned um, uh, regarding FFB. And just one last point mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with Paul that this needs to come down from FIFA somehow. They need to figure it out because I just. I feel like, you know, if it's the English FA and then, I don't know, the French FA uh, deal with it at that level, it's just going to be the same mess uh, because you're going to have a team, you're still playing these teams in Champions League, um, Europa League or whatever. And if each FA is going to have their own rules or FFP, uh, again, same mess, nothing new. So, uh, man, and we have the same experience. I don't want to get into politics here mm-hmm. nowadays with the pandemic. Sure. Um, in the U.S. with, you know, federal mandates and state mandates and all of that uh, craziness going on. So uh, just like Paul said, I think it needs to come down from FIFA, not even UEFA, just from FIFA. And, you know, it should just go all the way down. Uh, with regards to Newcastle, uh, I think it took us three years to get into the Champions League, maybe four years, you know, after club came in. Mm-hmm. So I project you know, even with money, I, I just because of factors like, you know, uh, building the team, having right, right. A proper staff, um, I think it takes time. This is not anything that's going to take a year or two to uh, turn yeah. around. Um, and, and, you know, you could buy Haaland, you could buy Coutinho or whoever, but just look at Coutinho and, and um, how he's been, uh, which I've, I've been very happy about. You know, I state this every uh, uh, podcast episode. Keep that it I'm coming. On. One more time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the performance the past couple of years f- because of where he is. Right. That's, that's all I want to say. So, yeah, I think it's going to take, uh, just like Sean said, four to five years um, before Newcastle, you guys will be a force. Um, I think it's, you know, for, for, as a, again, just as a football fan going back, I think is great because you're going to have not just three or four teams that are competing at the top of the Premier League, but you know a couple more. And now we have we see teams like Brighton who are mm-hmm. kind of doing it the right way, you know, with recruitment and and proper recruitment. Um, you know, that are competing to a certain extent before you know their uh, first squad is 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 depleted and and they become uh, they become shite again you know i don't know hopefully not but um i'm i'm all for competition um but yeah no i just jump i'll jump in really quick and say with regard to fifa being the police and i think we've leaned on them before they're also the one that gave the world cup to qatar when oh. qatar has got more yep. human rights violations Absolutely. and even building stadiums to hold the thing yeah. there's been like what five six thousand deaths and they're taking yeah. passports away from migrant workers Basically it's, slavery yeah it's a it's a mess and if, if fifa can find a way to turn a blind eye to that well we have no hope of them being police and that's already been proven right Sepp Blatter was this most one of the most corrupt people uh that uh well that we're aware of at least at the fifa level <laughs> and he was at the very top so it's it's yeah i mean johnny infantino he looks the well he kind of looks like a bond villain so i don't know if he looks the part but but he says he's a little bit more smooth i'd say and not as abrupt and not as sex you know blatantly sexist and and uh so it's it's you know incorrupt but you'd have to think i don't know i don't that's that's a really tough one and there's probably a lot to explore and i'm sure we'll learn more after his his time in in charge is over now with regard to the team overall well you know what i kind of love is that even though PSG probably has on paper currently the best team ever assembled. Yeah, a lot of the guys are over 30, but on paper, it just looks tremendous. They're still dropping games. And, yeah. and we could argue Pochettino might be the he has Spurs, you know, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? But, but I love that you can't skip steps. I love that you still have to brick by brick it. You still have to put it together. Just because you spend the most money doesn't guarantee you anything. Yeah. And I love that the game still has that. 
and, and that Man City hasn't won the Champions League despite the, the enormous amounts of money and that it's still a struggle for them, even though they have arguably one of the best managers to, to ever manage. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. And, and I love that Klopp probably knew that going in, that this was going to take time. And he got FSG to, to buy into that. And they went out and got the right pieces, brick by brick, and put together a winning culture that has now led to some tremendous success. And, and I think still puts you in, in uh, a good position to win trophies, significant trophies this season as well. You just need everybody healthy. So, so yes, to your point, yeah, four to five years is, I'm just really eager to get started. We've been suffering, you know, <laughs> and, and obviously I, I know, well, you know, firsthand from my own playing experience and from, from other things I've been a part of that you can't, you can't skip any steps. And, and I like that it's that way. So we'll see, we'll see if they, it sounds like they're trying to do the right things, but, but you never know at some point, I feel like these owners, most like most owners they are impatient. They don't want to wait four years to win a trophy. They're putting a, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not billions of dollars into this thing, they want to see immediate results. And so that'll be, I think, the biggest challenge for whoever comes in as the boss. So, uh, uh, my question for you is, uh, do you, with as much suffering and, and gnashing and wailing and rending of flesh that you guys have had over the, the last two and a half thousand years, it feels like dragging <laughs> yourselves through the desert. Um, is what's the, what, do you think that the, your average fan is going to be okay with a sustainable growth or, like it's because you have like that like you have 190 million dollars or pounds to spend. You are sitting on like the ability, like what the amount of money that this that this ownership group has. Like they can is the immediate expectation going to be like we need a splash, we need a Haaland, we need a Sterling. Some <laughs> I saw some like within minutes of this going through, someone had put up like a, a FIFA 2021 squad. And you know how they do the pan and the lineup? Mm-hmm. They would have been oh, playing yeah. a zero one nine formation had it been the number, yeah. had it been the players that they, they, they picked. There was Sterling, Ronaldo. The only person there in the midfield was Kante, which might basically like three or four players are. Which is PSG's really problem. They, they yeah. don't have they don't right. have the balance centers. Yeah, the yeah, team is so, balanced. Yeah, you I know that you're 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 a way more balanced person, so you advocate for balance, but is your average fan gonna be okay with like sitting on it and 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 do, watching the type of sustainable because look at leicester leicester has like that ownership group is i think the second or third like like most creamed out uh, organization or, or family and look at the way that they've done it like they've yeah. done it in a really clever sustainable way which proved like i, I think once they get rid of rogers they could be they could be <laughs> he's got the he's got the best teeth in the game brendan rogers what i'll say is this his chompers are amazing, but what you I'll could, say is you could eat it. You could eat a, You get an apple through a fence with those. Things <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I, and I marvel at it, frankly, but what I'll say <laughs> is when you look at the teams and I think it took Pep Guardiola a, a hot minute to really figure this out. And, and even when he did to try to play his style, it was that he needed to go get defenders that could do both that could play mm-hmm. with the ball and actually defend now, and then he kind of almost, Ruben Diaz is a bit of a throwback when you look at him as a center back. Is he going to like hit that ball 40 yards and break the lines and switch to the point of attack? He can do it, but that's not why he's out there. He's out there because he's tough as shit and, and he makes plays and he's got presence out there. And, and the guys that they had before him, you know, with the, well, Vincent Company used to have that, but you have Laporte and Stones who are a little bit too pretty at times, you know, when they're great on the ball, but Will they get in there and like throw an elbow in somebody's face? Because that's what has to happen. I mean, Sergio Ramos has got that almost too much going that direction, you know? And I think Virgil van Dyke is a nice, I mean, that guy's, you know, he's a physical specimen as well. So that helps, but he can play. But, but, but I think what really elevated that, that back line and gave, it's he has presence. He's a leader. He holds people accountable. Yeah. Most a lot. I don't give a shit who you are. Sadio Mane, just get the ball and score, man. You know, like I need you to, or I need you to track back because that's what the game mandates that's what our boss is telling us that's what we need to do this is what we need and you need a lot of those guys in the spine of your team so when i look at newcastle and city obviously had gone through this as well when i look at newcastle they almost have to build from the back forward you have some really talented players i look at miguel Miron, and i used to watch him here in mls that guy's got some sauce but he touches the ball in a meaningful space like four times a game I would, my soul would be crushed if I was Miguel. Like I never get to showcase what I'm good at because I never get the goddamn ball. And then you see these glimpses of him and he's like a gazelle running past like seven guys and either banging it himself or setting up somebody else. And then you have Alonso Maximin, who is an absolute beast. I love that dude. He's got so much sauce for days. And, and you have some players that can play. Callum Wilson's obviously when he's healthy, a dependable Premier League forward. 
Joe Linton, I don't know why we signed that guy. That's a different conversation. But we have we have some <laughs> other guys that, that are okay going forward, enough to, to be productive if we were like if we could transition well. So you're kind of looking at that back line and that CDM spot and potentially a goalkeeper, even though I like Darlo, to to really kind of help the team grow and evolve. And so I feel like to the balance point, if they're smart and, and if Mike Edwards is available, you you start to you start to build in almost every line of the field and not just think I'm going to go get Mbappe and Holland and that's going to solve all of our problems. I'd like to think where we've got some smart people involved who have been honestly sitting on buying this team for three or four years. So they could probably see what's, what's successful and what's not. But you know, when you have a lot of problems and you or a lot of money and you, and you're, you have impatient owners, you could probably have an opposite effect. And I actually think the rest of the Premier League would love it if we sucked, you know, even though we spent $17 billion in the last four, you know, next four years or whatever. So I wouldn't, me, I wouldn't like that, but you know. Uh, um, just a follow-up question. Um, let's say you know the powers to be at Newcastle um, look at this podcast and decide uh, they want to hire you to be mm-hmm. their John Edwards. Um, sorry, John Edwards. I said Michael. Michael. Apologies. It is Michael, Michael Edwards. Michael, sorry. Michael, Michael yeah. Edwards. Michael Edwards. his friends. My, my fault. It's uh, probably his brother. It's fine. <laughs> Who would you want to keep from the current squad? Uh, let's say Good question to, to be there in like two. Or oh, what, what do you guys think? I mean, when you look at Liverpool, what did you do right? You didn't shed eight to ten players all at once. You did it at two or three players at a time, yeah. and and you were pissed when you lost Coutinho, right? And ultimately, it ended up being a great thing for you. And you know, obviously, in hindsight, it looks great, and especially when you look at his career, but and what's happened since then. Even though he did, he did win a Champions League with with Bayern Munich, so I guess you got to take that into consideration. I, I don't know. You know, you still also want to have a vibrant youth academy. You want to make sure that the kids that have been in your academy for a long time are getting that opportunity. And Trent Alexander-Arnold's a great, a great uh, fit for that. And, and, you know, Harvey Elliott, unfortunately, I, I'm bummed that he got hurt because I just think he was going to take these big steps. You want to make sure there's a pathway for those kids as well. And it's not just we're going to solve our, all of our problems. And I think Real Madrid got away with that, got away from that. We got super galactic goes heavy and they were just buying all these big names and didn't allow any of their players to come underneath and, and start to kind of give that balance again. So it's tough. I, I, you know, if we can move on, I think Joe Willick's a good, you know, good signing. It, it's, it's tough. Joe Linton. If we can move him along, you know, would probably be one that I would consider. And there's nobody I really dislike. Maybe John Joe Shelby at this point, he's done what he's going to do. I, I feel like we've hit the ceiling on John Joe Shelby as I look at the team. Um, but there's other players that they're not bad, but it's just like, can we be stronger? And I honestly would look at it one line at a time. Who can we add? Okay, we get rid of Joel Linton. Who can we bring in? Is it Erling Holland? Well, holy shit, let's bring Erling Holland in. And that's going to elevate, I would say, imagine if Alonson Maximin could play with Erling Holland. I mean, all of a sudden, Alonson Maximin would just hit this other level. You know that he would because there'd be less attention on him. He'd have more space to play. And then in midfield, if you could bring in somebody that was a deep line playmaker, you could pass the ball a little bit, I don't know, or a Verratti or, a, or somebody that can help the team transition and actually give the ball to Alonson Maximin where he's a little higher up the field and not have to track all the way back to get it. And Miguel Omiron could pick it up in those half spaces between the lines and could run at that back line. It would be sick. This team would be sick. So you don't really need as much as maybe people think. But that, for me, the back line, I, when I look at the back line and the outside backs, I feel like we could improve in almost every single area there. So I would almost start at the back line. Not to say those guys aren't good, serviceable Premier League players, but I would start to nitpick. And and as I mentioned before, having a kick-ass center back, somebody that's got that presence would help. The problem is there's not a lot of those out there. I mean, we saw Upa Meccano leave RB Leipzig to go to Bayern Munich and actually don't think he's looked that great for Bayern Munich. Or you see Kanate come to you guys, and not that he's gotten a lot of minutes to prove himself, but it's not like he's coming and just like lights out. He's a must-starter. So you have... You have people with potential, but who's who's really out there? Eric Garcia was the big name for Man City, came from Barcelona's academy, and he'd make it airs every week for Barcelona. So I know why Man City let him go, because he's just not locked in. So the center back position would be one that I'd be looking at hard, and I'd be going in hard on any. And, and honestly, right now, if I was Newcastle, I'd be trying to go buy some young center backs and trying to get them into the system as soon as possible and, and getting them to kind of buy into this is the Newcastle going forward, and you're going to be a big reason why. So I'd look at really look in the spine of the team and, and kind of build around that. All right. So one thing we haven't touched on, which is a big deal. Yeah, sorry to cut you off there, Sean, real quick is look what Rafa Benitez did with a, a somewhat lackluster squad. So it's, I always go to, to which one Liverpool's Newcastle's or Newcastle's. Uh, Everton's. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. C all, three. all of the above. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or that D, but uh, the point being, it's like, I think, 
I, for me, it's, it's going to come down to who your manager is. And That's I think fair. one of the biggest problems is, is who's going to be first. You don't want to be the Mark Hughes. You mm-hmm, kind of want to, mm-hmm, you, you, you want to come in as the second guy in, because again, I go back to what the expectation is from your fan, your fan base, a, and your ownership group is. And if he can't work miracles within a season and a half, he's probably going to get the X. So do you think, who would you, okay. Ted Lasso like is your manager. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, Antonio Conte, I think is the name that's being bandied about the most. He's uh, very control heavy. He wants to have control on pretty much everything. Newcastle might be primed for that to happen right away. So you bring in Antonio Conte in who doesn't necessarily stay long at clubs anyway. No, you know, uh, even in his, his peak of his success at Juve, he left to go coach the Italian national team. So he could be a nice little stopgap. I think he could put some good things in place. I thought he did some excellent business while he was at Inter Milan in particular. He also brings young players along and gives and trusts them. Like you have Bastoni, who's going to be one of the top Italian center backs once Benucci and Chiellini ever retire. And then you have uh, Nico Barella, who I think is one of the best central midfielders, young mid- midfielders in the world. So you have this, this, this coach that just wants a little bit more control. You say, all right, we'll give that to you for two or three years. And then everybody's on the same page. It's not like this acrimonious, you know, uh, departure and everybody's pissed at each other. Very Jose Jose Mourinho-esque, you know, and it feels like a lose-lose when it should have been a win-win. And and everybody knew that it was a stopgap solution. So he could be somebody, but he is intense. And and I don't know if a lot of players want to play for him, even though Romelu Lukaku, I thought, spoke really lovingly of of Conte, that he got more out of Lukaku, that that, now we have this, this different version of Lukaku who's, a little bit tougher, frankly, and and uh, wants more responsibility and, and has grown as a person and as a player. So it's very cool to see that the impact that Conte can have. But if you want somebody to come in and kind of help you set up that shop, he doesn't exude that warmth, I think, that I would like to see from a manager that's a, a kind of a, a, getting involved in this situation. But I don't know who else is out there that has that type of pedigree outside of trying to lure somebody away that already has the job or already has a job. So... That's a tough one, but but Conte would be a, an interesting experiment for sure. And to see him back in the Premier League, stock on the sidelines, yelling at everybody and anybody that's in his face would be kind of amazing. So I'm here for it. Well, if you wait three weeks, you might be able to get Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Nah, <laughs> that guy's a better assistant coach, to be honest. Um, I don't think he's head coach material. I will say that Antonio Conte does have a tremendous success rate with with teams that are in black and white. And I'm talking about the old lady in Italy with, with Juve. So who knows? Match made in heaven. That's Sean, it. You, you, had a, you had a question, Sean? Sorry, I cut you off there. No, I was going to say a couple of things. One was, um, uh, Haitha mentioned earlier, it, Klopp, we actually uh, got fourth Klopp second year. But I think like, what what really you want to look at is, is how long did it take us to get there under FSG? Hmm. Because it took a while for us to get Klopp, right? Right. So it was just kind of what you were just talking about. Um, and Conte, I like. I mean, Conte's a great manager, but he's not the type that comes in and buys a whole bunch of young players and builds a squad. And he kind of comes in with an established team. That's true. And then takes them to the next level. So I would, I would kind of wonder. I, I was looking at this the other day, like what other options are out there, and I don't know a lot, but I, I looked at um, Dortmund's coach. Oh um, yeah, yeah. You know, Rose, yeah, yeah. Um, like somebody like that. I could see being a good, you know, first, you know, first attempt, you know, and, and maybe you're kind of throwing them out there and just kind of see how it goes. But somebody that would, that will build a young squad and kind of like you're saying, kind of build, build like a, a, a new culture and a new, um, new thing. Cause that's really, I mean, a, a lot of what Klopp changed was the culture um, yes. and the dressing room and mentality. And he specifically went out, got players that kind of suited that, um, and people always point to when we spend a lot of money for Van Dyke and Allison, but I think that's because we genuinely thought the club generally thought they were the, the best at their position in the world. And that's why they were willing to spend that money. So, you know, it's, yeah, you it's know, interesting. FSG I, operate a lot different than I'm sure the Saudis will <laughs> a little more, more cash strapped, but. Um, I, well, at least they pretend to be, I will say yeah. that and that's very American by the way, to do that. Yeah. I will say, <laughs> Just ask, ask Man United fans about how, how the Glazers leverage everything yep. to not use their own money to... Anyway, we can get into that. Different conversation, different podcast. This is those stupid Red Devils guys, right? So yeah. what I'll say is um, with regard to the culture that you're talking about, what's interesting is... I, and I hadn't really thought about this before, but I'm, I'm looking over here to see kind of the odds on who's going to take over the Newcastle <laughs> job. And 
I hadn't really thought about Frank Lampard too much, but he could be somebody that could potentially come in because whether you love him or hate him or don't rate him as a manager, he still actually built the team that Thomas Tuchel is using to win trophies. Now, obviously, the Lukaku ad wasn't part of his, but ultimately the nucleus was there. He just didn't have him in the right formation and, and, and didn't, wasn't obviously saying the right things or didn't maybe have the right tactics to get the most out of them. And we could argue there's a lot of Chelsea players that kind of don't like those tactics because I think it, in particular Christian Pulisic, and I watch him closely as an American, he gets handcuffed a little bit, I think, with these tactics from Tuchel. But it's still effective. And, and so, so Frank Lampard could be an interesting choice. You bring him in. You will, he's, he's, he can identify talent. You're also not afraid to bring along youngsters. And you give him that year or two to kind of help and then say, hey, buddy, you're out of here after we <laughs> after we've got it to a good place. You're good at getting us to a good place, but to actually win trophies, we're going to have to go to somebody else, unfortunately. Uh, so so maybe Thomas Tuchel will be available at that point. And that would be kind of funny if Tuchel replaced Lampard again and started winning trophies for Newcastle. But it I would could say happen, actually. it could happen, which is kind of crazy <laughs> to think about. But but there are a couple of choices here. I guess it just depends on what the new ownership group wants and, and the type of mentality you want around the club, knowing what you've seen from, from the managers that are available, but Graham Potter wouldn't be a bad shout either to kind of give it to or Eddie Howe, somebody that probably just, just deserves a chance with a little bit of a bigger club to, yeah. to not that Newcastle's there yet. They're obviously down at the bottom, but, but knowing that the future is going to be bright could be pretty interesting for those types of managers who might not get that shot. Otherwise. I don't think that Newcastle ever stopped being a, a big club. I, I've true. I've always, I've always had a soft spot for, for, for Newcastle. And, and Geordies in, in general. Um, and having said that, we have had some like unbelievable matchups against them down the years. Um, specifically, I'm going April 3rd, 1996, when Stan, Stan Collymore scored in like the 725th minute of extra. Was that 4 4? Added on. It was four, the 4 3 game. Yeah. Four, three, yeah. There's been a couple of them. So I, I, we're getting, getting close to time here. So I'd just be interested to hear from you guys. And then from you also, Jimmy, as one of the guys, what your favorite game was as as a Newcastle fan watching against Liverpool. I'm sure that there'll be different games, but uh, but that four three one sticks in my mind just because of like the, the drama in it. That was it. Just felt like no team had any interest in defense in, in that game. So Paul, you're you're old. You've been around since I think Matusalem. I am old. Yes. Blog, so. Yeah. Well, so so um. But it's easy for me, yeah. 3-0, 1974, 1st of May, I think, FA Cup final. Um, Malcolm McDonald was going to, like, score us to bits, and we we produced uh, the first time I've really ever seen total football under Shankly, Shankly's last game, actually. Um, absolutely wonderful. I am also interested in hearing the, the recollections about who were those players that... Uh, drew Jimmy in in that 5-0 game. So if that's part of his recollection, that'd be really interesting. Yes. Uh, I'm looking at the games that were the most famous right now and kind of harking back to it. There was, I'll get to that, and then I'll, I'll talk to you about the players. But that, there was, a, there was a result in 2010 that stood out because Alan Pardew had just been signed to a five-and-a-half-year deal, which still sounds insane that anybody would sign Alan Pardew to a five-and-a-half-year deal because that guy's crazy. But it was a 3-0, 3-1 results. It was December 2010. And Andy Carroll scored for Newcastle in that one. Who? Kevin Nolan, Never heard of him. Kevin, Never heard of him. Kevin Nolan scored. And uh, everyone's – I don't know if everyone's favorite, but Joey Barton also scored. Everyone's favorite drunk uh, scored in this one. <laughs> um, and, and Roy Hodgson was, was managing you guys at the never time. Heard and, and what's crazy was that you guys sacked him a month later to the bad old days. Yeah. You got replaced by uh, Kenny Douglish. So <laughs> that was, that was a game that, that, you know, that was when Newcastle was still like competing, you know, and still, and that's kind of like the last time I remember feeling somewhat good about our team and that there was uh, actually, I had a sense of hope that, Hey, maybe these guys can do it and maybe they can. You know, and we had a good season with uh, Papa Cisse and, and uh, Demba Ba. You know, those guys were crushing it for a while. So that game kind of stands out as the most recent. But that 96 game that you're talking about was, uh, from a Liverpool perspective, pretty. I mean, it was just a good one, for, even for the neutrals, but 4-3. Robbie Fowler had two in that one, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, but when I look back at those teams, you know, even though Ginola didn't play with the team for very long, that was you nice. know, I was, I mean, he's going to be somebody that draws me in. Alan Shearer, of course. Uh, Andy Cole had a brief stint right when I was 
you know, and I've, and I followed him to, to Manchester. I was like, God, he goes to Manchester United and starts to do well and build his relationship with Dwight York. And they had a, a good one, Philippe Albert, Les Fernand. I mean, it's, it's not hard to pick out you know, a whole bunch of names. And then, uh, we know what's funny is I got to, I went to Chile for the 2015 Copa America and I got to interview Tino Espria, which was a big thrill for me. Wow. And I actually yes. think that Newcastle, even though he was talented and he scored goals, I feel like they lost their, not their, their team shape a little bit. I feel like they started, had to build almost when like Zlatan shows up to your team or Ronaldo shows up to your team. You got to play different to accommodate these guys. And when Tino Esprio came, I just thought it took away from the success, the success the team had been having. And, and yeah, so that was an interesting time. But I got to meet Tino Esprio. And what do you know what he's doing? He was in Colombia, his home country, and he was sell, he has condoms with his name. It's the Tino Esprio condoms. Like it's, <laughs> I was like, this guy is an absolute legend. How could I'm like, how could we be best Nemo, Neymar's next career, right? Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of guys I think I could use. Uh, so their own condom. I don't think they make I, condoms that small. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I asked him if they had an extra small for me, but uh, <laughs> I, I blame my dad. It's the Conrad curse. God damn you genetics and dad. So, so it's uh, that was cool, too. You know, anytime you get to, to meet the guys that you looked up to, even if they're selling condoms, was a pretty neat experience. But but. <laughs> But yeah, that team was easy. I mean, there was something about them. They weren't afraid. They were, they were swashbuckling. They'd go forward with reckless abandon. Everybody was getting into the, into, you know, into the attack and trying to make it happen. And yes, there were a lot of four or three games because of that, but there was something about that fearlessness that I was really attracted to. So when they did slap around Manchester United 5-0, it felt good because, you know, as the kids say now, cry more. All my Manchester United friends were like, oh, they're like, cry more, suckers. I'm supporting Newcastle from here on out. So, <laughs> so as I said, it was a steady decline since then. But it was, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's been a wild ride. It's a it's, uh, unique experience not to support a team or to support a team that doesn't win all the time. And, and you know, how you accept it. And very similar to now where I'm conflicted about you know, I got these owners that you know, it's going to give us success, but w at what cost, you know? So it's interesting. Uh, I do got to jump off because I'm hosting it. Uh, of course you are. But, Look, um, you guys are all super popular. No, nah. but um, no, but I do look forward to uh, to some some great matches with Newcastle in the near future. I, uh, one thing is that I I don't have any like clear memories of, of like, you know, the rivalry, but um, I've always thought that the ground, the ground is, is pretty cool. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing that some of our away fans are probably secretly happy that they'll get to, to take some some fun trips up there in the near future. So we have but a lot of horses, a lot of horses to punch. So you just yeah. <laughs> right. you guys Stay are mixing and continue. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to give up actually coming up uh, with uh, a match in favor of asking you, Jimmy, uh, a question about your career. Um, so. What two players, one you played with and one you played against on the same pitch that just bestowed total awe on you based on the way they performed? Sure. So so I have a couple players. I've had the benefit of playing against some of the world's best. And R9 Ronaldo, I got to play against Real Madrid in the Bernabeu. And seeing him up close, you know what I really appreciate? Zidane was on the team. So obviously in awe of him and Roberto Carlos and Ika Casillas and Beckham, was. that's when he was with uh, Madrid. But getting to see, because I was a center back, so getting to see R9 Ronaldo, he's partnered with Raul. And I was like, Raul's nothing compared to R9 Ronaldo. You just kind of have to mark Raul in the box because he's very shifty and is very good at creating space and pulling off your shoulder. But R9 Ronaldo, it's just, there's no way I can defend him. There's just no way I can, I mean, his, his quads are the size of my whole body. And he's got the most magical first touch with both feet. And he's fast and strong and he's good in the air and he can hold up the ball. Like I just, it, it, the only way I can defend somebody like him is if he just doesn't want to be out there that day. That's the only possible way I can slow this guy down. <laughs> we gave him two half chances in that game and he scored both side netting. And I was like, yeah, this is, I've never seen anything like this. This is uh, it, it was, he's a specimen. Now Zidane, is is he's playing four-dimensional chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. I mean, the way that he's so fluid when he moves. And what I want to say for everybody listening is what I really appreciated in this game, because they didn't, it was a friendly, they didn't have to go hard on us. These guys work so extremely hard when they when they're supposed to. They're so efficient in their movements. 
And it helps when obviously you have players that know how to hold the ball under pressure, that you can time your runs. You can get into that space at the right time and not get there too early or whatever it is. And they're so well-versed in the game and how to move and where to go and when. It's incredible. And I loved all 90 minutes, even though we got our ass beat. I loved all 90 minutes of that particular game. Michael Owen and Steve McManaman came off the bench in that one. I will tell you the final score. I'm just going to tell you that I loved every single minute of it. Now, I also had the chance to play against Argentina in the Copa America. So I got to play against Messi and this Argentina team that was stacked. Zanetti, Raquel May, Crespo. Messi just, you can't get your hand on him. He's so slippery and he's always looking to play forward. So just to kind of see the decision-making that these guys make in games and what they're looking looking to do. And they're not playing safe. They're, they're playing to hurt you as soon as possible with any pass that they can or whether to run with the ball or without it. It's really, really something else. Uh, there was another player, Miroslav Klose, more World Cup goals than anybody else. Just, he looks like a guy that should be managing an office depot, right? I mean, he just doesn't look like a professional <laughs> athlete. But, but there's something about his understanding of the game, his timing, and, and he's so good in and around the box that they're very similar to Raul. You think you have him, and then you look around, and he's now banging it at the near post. You're like, God damn it. You know, so these guys are so good at their at understanding how to play. And it's it's something that when I coach now, I try to give back to the to the teams. And then from an American perspective, Claudio Reyna really stands out, played in four World Cups for us. His son Gio plays for Borussia Dortmund now for the, the men's national team, which makes me feel old because I remember when Gio was at the pool, like five years old, swimming around at World Cup qualifiers and stuff. But but he he you could play him the ball in any situation, and he always had the answer. And not only he'd always have three options. You play, it didn't matter. He had three guys on his back. You could play on the ball. He's like, just give it to me. I'll figure it out. And it was never, he never looked troubled. And John O'Brien, another player we don't talk a lot about here, but John O'Brien grew up in my area in LA. And we heard about him, this little punk kid, little tiny guy. He went to Ajax and he just same. You play on the ball and everything's smooth. He always makes the right decision. And that type of quality is just something I wish I had in spades. And I just, I just didn't have it. I was the, yeah, I once had a national team coach compare me to Jamie Carragher. That was me. I was a heart on my sleeve <laughs> defender, going to run right through you, run through a brick wall, hold people accountable, do your goddamn job, you know, that type of stuff. That was me. I was captain material, I think, in some ways. But, uh, but in terms of, like, having that, that, that class, that quality, that world-class ability to, to play, maybe I had it in commitment, but I definitely didn't have it like those guys have it. So I, I feel very fortunate to have had the experiences that I did and, and I want to pay it forward now to, to anybody that I'm around. So your Glenn's, are your Glenn's playing this year? I know that you guys had. Yeah. Two years of pandemic. Yeah. I'm yeah. coaching a fourth division team here in the U S called the San Francisco Glens. And it, they do have aspirations to move up the ladder here. The ladder here in the States though, is there's no promotion relegation. You got to buy your promotion. So we'll see if we get the investors to do that at some point, but uh, we should be ready to go in 2022. And it's a very short season. I don't know how much involvement I'm going to have. I'll, I'll definitely be there as like a general manager. I just don't know, or technical, technical director. I just don't know if I'll be able to coach as much because there's some off the field family stuff that's going on that could impede uh, my, my involvement in a, in a more 24 seven role, which makes me a little bummed out, but uh, yeah, life, life, you know, life, that's how life goes. Yeah. Well, I'm sure my mom now, if you start up a uh, GoFundMe, would probably drop a couple of. Couple of bucks <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. I got to figure out what I'm selling per se or how she can help, but I'll, I'll get that sorted out. That pole in the background will help. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. My tassels. I look good in a leopard print Speedo, everybody. <laughs> All right. So I think I'd be remiss in, in, if I didn't ask you this. February 7th, 2007, 51 and change minutes in. Your boy, Landon, Mr. Donovan, <laughs> to the rest of us puts it down in that little semicircle in the corner there. What is going through your head other than God damn, I'm sexy and white. <laughs> no. So, so you're talking about my goal against Mexico, my only goal for the national team. And what's funny is in that game, Landon had been taking all the set pieces. So you're, you're saying five, six minutes after halftime in the first half, he keeps hitting all the, the set pieces into the first post. Like they're not getting past the Mexican defenders. Like they have a, not necessarily a wall of guys there, but they're, they're zonal defending to that first post and he's not getting it. And it pisses me off as a center back because I'm the one that has to run all the way up. And then I'm the first one that's expected to run all the way back to defend. So I'm like, listen, if I'm going to do all this thankless running, I tell him this at halftime, if I'm going to do all this thankless running, can you just put one set piece in the goddamn mixer for me to like at least get on the end of? So no joke. That is our first set piece in the second half. And where does he put it? He puts it in the goddamn mixer. And guess who scores this guy? Cause I was pissed. 
you know, that I finally got it. So, so the, obviously the first person I go celebrate with, and that's part of the surprise, my celebration, I'm like, I don't know what to do with my hands. So if you ever see my celebration, that's what it looks like. But, but I'm going to him because we had the conversation about him putting it in the mixer for me to attack the ball. And so it's almost like me laughing at him, like, holy shit, we were just talking about this five minutes ago and it actually happened. So there's a lot to, to like the, the backstory of it's pretty funny, but uh, yeah, obviously a big thrill for me. And I had my, my youth coach was there. He happened to come to the game. So to have like my youth coach in attendance to see me have that moment was very cool. And, and obviously my parents and friends where everybody was, I mean, I don't think I've ever gotten as many text messages on my phone than, than that night scoring against your biggest rival. I got name man of the match as well. So it was, it was a cool feeling. That's Perfect. awesome, dude. That is awesome. Well, do you guys have any other questions for Jimmy? I know that uh, he's a busy man with me. Look at this hair and face. Of course I'm busy. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> do you guys have any questions for him? Anything else? Had, this, this, this was awesome, Jimmy. Thank you so much for no problem. My pleasure. Nice to meet you guys. Yeah. Uh, I've been to Anfield once, I should say. I sat in the director's box and uh, it was incredible. I was there. Kenny Dalglish was there. Ian Rush was there. Robbie Fowler. It was a uh, for a Champions League game. My first time at Anfields against Porto a couple seasons ago. It was the they won two zero. I think uh, Nabi Kaita scored the first one, and it was it was an incredible experience. And and uh, even though I support Newcastle, I, I I quietly pull for Liverpool as well. And I'm a big Jurgen Klopp fan as well. So I I, I cool. appreciate you guys. I, w- I wish you the best of luck. I think you have a great shot of, of winning the Premier League as well as having a nice long run in the Champions League. So I, I wish you guys the best. We hope you're well, right. It's going to be great. You've given me so now I know exactly what I'm putting on the uh, on the precursor to the show. Liverpool fan Jimmy Conrad. <laughs> I mean, at this point, Newcastle, my Newcastle friends would be like, "I get it." You know what I mean? Like they they would understand. Well, maybe not now. Two weeks ago, they would have been like, "I get it." Now they're like, "What are you We're doing, rich, buddy?" Like bitch. the future's bright. Yeah. Great. I appreciate well, you guys. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take it easy, guys. See you later. Cheers.